Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a appropriate passage of scripture drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Larissa Levicheva. Uh, Larissa is a regular on the show here and an Old Testament scholar and Bible scholar in general uh, who teaches at Wesley Seminary alongside me. And I'm happy to have her back on the show to discuss our text this week, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16 through 23. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, uh, hit the share button on the podcast player app of choice that you use to pass this show along to others so that they may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Laura. Well, from one thing to another, you want to dig into this text? Sure. Yes. Awesome. So I think we're looking at 1 Corinthians 9. Would you be willing to read? Yes, sure. You say read and you do the reading and I'll say a prayer and then we'll jump in like we usually do. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so I'm reading from NRSV starting with verse 16. If I proclaim the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting. For an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might, be, I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I might share in its blessings. Yeah, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for the gospel the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, and the freedom and blessings that come therefrom. And give you thanks also for the Apostle Paul and his ministry and his message. And for this particular text that we have been summoned to explore today. So, Father, I ask that you would equip by your Holy Spirit, Larissa and I, 
as we study this word, that we might be faithful and fruitful bearers of the word of God. May whatever equipping you have already done in our lives through living and study, may that be enhanced and grounded and expanded beyond our capacity by the supernatural workings of your Holy Spirit. And may the same be the case for all those listening in, that they would not only be stimulated and grow in knowledge and understanding, though I desire that as well, but not only that, but that a spirit of wisdom and insight comes only by you and your living word and spirit of life. May that be at work in us and in all for the sake of the advance of your gospel. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, what grabs you in this text? What's, uh, what's intriguing you today? What, what observations would you want to offer just to get us started today? Yeah, well, it's, it's quite clear that, that Paul is arguing a point, and it's the same point that goes throughout the, uh, the passage, but he is make, you know, he's using different images to, to carry it across. But I think he's still in the chapter, chapter nine begins with, you know, rhetorical questions that he asked as, you know, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? You know, have I not received the, you know, command to uh, preach the gospel directly from Jesus, right? So he's, he's still answering that, that question, am I not Mm. free? But in a very different, like, in a very different way, he's kind of puts it all upside down. Right, the yeah. freedom is uh, means something else now that he is uh, preaching the gospel of Christ. So it's it's quite quite interesting what he's doing. So in the big in the um, first half of of the chapter, he's talking about the fact that as the preacher of the good news, as the one commissioned by Christ, he uh, he has full rights to be supported by the Corinthians. And he, you know, gives multiple examples and so mm-hmm. on. And then he comes to this section and it's like, yes, I fully deserve it. But in verse 15, he says, I made no use of it. So he had established that he fully deserves it. But now he's going to tell them why he's not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So, and this is what the second uh, half of the chapter is about. So, he is not going to uh, take any money or any support from the Corinthians because of what he is asked to do. And it's interesting in, uh, cha- uh, in verse 15, he says, it's the second part, I would rather die than that. Hmm. No one will deprive me of my ground of boasting. It feels almost like he started saying, I would rather die than take your money. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. finish it. It's like, yeah. ooh, maybe it's a little <clears throat> too hard. Maybe that's too harsh. Yeah. It's maybe too harsh. So Yeah, but he yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I assume that the and I mean this would be always true, but I think it would ring more clearly for them in their time that the language of freedom or liberty has a sort of clear contrast with servitude, slavery. I mean, again, it always does. And 
and it does in our time too. Although a big part of modern life is a kind of, you know, thinking there's been a lot of reflection and practices around the concept of freedom that has, it has all these other layers connected to democracy and all this kind of stuff. Right. But I imagine in their time, like to be free means to, you know, not be in service to someone. Right. I mean, it's the kind of, that's the sort of most straightforward meaning. I I think of uh, when someone first pointed out to me, what's like so obvious. It's like these thing you can't unsee once somebody points it out. Right. Somebody pointed out to me that the liberal arts, right. The term liberal arts means people who aren't servants, right? The stuff that people who aren't servants, the people who are in charge of the servants, the stuff they study. So like, so geometry is a liberal art. Whereas like, you know, cause that's what someone who wants to design the pyramid would study. Whereas like the guy who makes the pyramid, the guy who cuts the stone, the stone cutting that Joseph, Jesus father was probably a stone cutter, possible translation there, right? Stone cutting. That's a, that's a servant's art. So there's the arts of servants and then there's the arts of freemen. And like, it's like the moment I saw that, I was like, oh, now I can't unsee it. Right. And it kind of makes the whole language of liberal arts actually a little troubling because it's so bound up in a sort of class structure. Um, but I, he seems to be playing on that, like really straight, yeah. straight here, like even right out of the gate in back in verse one. And, and we're just kind of doing the lectionary kind of has like a selection from like a, a little piece from each chapter of Corinthians. And okay. so no one else is covering chapter nine. So we can move freely through the whole okay. chapter as far as I'm concerned. Well, we can move freely through the whole book if you feel like it, but, but especially chapter nine. But he says, you know, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? You mentioned that that's his authority coming from Christ. Right. But then this last question, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? And that workmanship language is the language of, of a, of a servant who's making something. And so you can almost say, see, I have worked. Therefore I, it's right that I be paid for my service. So then he comes back to that then in our section by saying, you know, I make myself a servant. That's how I use my freedom. Like you say, I would rather die than get paid by you people. <laughs> Not from you. No. Yeah. 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 Even though I, it would be right for me to be paid for this service. I'd actually rather not so that it, I can give it free of charge, which of course is bizarre. Cause like you say, he turns it upside down and also twists it around. Cause it's sort of like to do work free of charge kind of sounds like not just service, but slavery. Um, that's true. And that's kind of almost what he's saying, right? He's saying, right. But I'm a slave of Christ, not of you guys. Right. So my rewards from him, right. my and payment is from him. Right. So that whole idea of, I'm, you know, I'm working in the garden or whatever, and uh, that's what the the Im- imagery Paul is mm. creating. You are my workmanship, so I, you know, I work to make you who you are. So you can't really pay me for that. It's the master who sent me yeah. to work with you. That who's supposed to pay me? Yeah, so you're not my con- you're not my constituency. You. You're my vineyard. <laughs> right. Yes. The grapes cannot oh, really pay me. You know, it's the owner of the vineyard who will pay me. So that's that's what he yeah. is. I never saw it that way, Laura. That makes perfect sense, though. He's kind of gently or not so gently putting them in their place as, because in some sense by, like you say, I'd rather die than get paid by you. Some of that's a function of they would like to have have that over him. At least that's what he perceives as the risk. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and, 
And to be honest, they, they must know that he received money from the Philippines mm-hmm. to support, you know, support his cause, support him. So uh, I also wonder if he is making very clear that, you know, he even says, I did not make full use of my rights in mm. verse 15. So I wonder if what he means is while I'm working with you, while I'm in your midst, I'm not receiving any payment. I'm not incurring any favors so that I will only preach what you want me to preach. Uh, I don't, I don't want to be on your retainer. But when <laughs> I'm done with you and I move on, now you can support me because I'm doing the same type of work somewhere else. Right. So I, I don't yeah, know. So sending me support now either for the – the collection to go back to Jerusalem and or to support his ministry in Ephesus or wherever he is. Ah, okay. So he's also kind of trying to, some of the rhetoric of this passage is to, is to suggest that it is time now to pay, not as a payment for service, but as a gift for the movement, the forward movement of the gospel elsewhere. Right. But it also this whole idea of, working for free is a, it's, it's very foreign for that mm. type of society and culture, right? Nobody works for free. That's just not known. But also I wonder if he is, if Paul is trying to be countercultural mm. in this patriarchal society where those with authority will always lord over, you mm-hmm. know, I tell you what to do. You kind of serve me, but instead of, being above them, he is purposefully lowering his status and coming to work among them so that he would lead them from, you know, from below, so to speak. Yeah, it's brilliant because he's, he, like you say, he's both turning it upside down and backwards, like all at the same time, I want right. to put it that way, where it's like, you know, on the one hand, I have the freedom to accept payment and reward from you for being high and exalted being right. So that would be kind of his, him as a patron, but he also knows the moment you pay me now you've become the patron. Right. So he's like, I don't want to be in that. I, I, I'm neither your patron nor your client as it were. He's, he's mm-hmm. sort of, yep. he's sort of undermining the system from both ends by saying I'm completely free of that system above it which then frees me to be also completely at the bottom and I exclusively as a servant. So then the notion of being, of giving a gift free of charge is actually, it's this weird synthesis of total freedom and slavery. Cause it's only the, it's only the Uber, the Uber wealthy who have nothing to get back. And it's yeah. only the indentured servant who gets paid nothing. Uh, it's kind of like, he's almost occupying the sort of extreme ends of the class right. structure yeah, as a, you know, as a highly educated Jew, right, and as a Roman citizen, citizen, he is as free as you can imagine it to be. Yeah. Yet he chooses to, to exercise his freedom to become a slave to Christ. So he chooses, it's, it's very interesting. He's free to make a choice, so he chooses slavery. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's quite, quite interesting. And oh it's also not something, you know, the way he talks about it, it's not something that he really can say no to, not to preach the gospel, 
is right. to die for him. So in this passage, there's so much going at the same time. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, like, he's using a lot of play on words and ideas because to preach means that he exposes himself to suffering and the possibility of death, as we know yeah. from his ministry. But not to preach will cause him to die for sure hmm. because he can't contain that within himself. So it's just this, you know, he's preaching, so he has life in it. It's a life-giving event for him. But if this comes from this, that's, that's great. He welcomes that. I don't know. In, in a way, it reminds me, the way he talks about this need, this commission, divine commission to, to preach, reminds me of Jeremiah. Hmm. Right? Ah, I so, bet it reminded him too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woe to me, right? That's yeah. very, you know, Old testament Um, So how it's, you know, it's the fire burning within me, right? Jeremiah 29 says and that I cannot hold it. So, yeah, that's, that's really good. And that, that make, that makes me hit the, the other contrast concept with freedom would be necessity. And that, that would have been, and that was very much in the water in the philosophical literature, right? So this language of, of necessity in, in verse 16. So it's, it's this kind of clever because he says, I'd rather die than anybody take away my, my boast Right. Then he says, but if I preach the gospel, it isn't a boast to me for it is a necessity, right? I'm not really doing there in a sense, his freedom flows from this base necessity. He's in this and you had a different word bound maybe, which is fine. That's, that's like they're related concepts in German. Actually, the word for necessity has, has a, actually, maybe it doesn't, maybe I'm thinking of a different word. I know sometimes the word binding or to be Mm -hmm. bound, what did NRSV have there in verse, uh, what was it? 15 for necessity is laid upon me. I have right before woe to me. Obligation. Obligation. Yeah. That's okay. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I, I, think I think I like miss. Right? Yeah. Constraint. Okay. Obligation, even in our modern times can be a little, sound a little loose, like, Oh, I'm obliged to do it, but I might not. And right. I don't think he means it that way. <laughs> it's like, I, have no choice, right? It is right, absolutely right. bound. Yeah. Constrained. That's good. Well, let's take a quick break and uh, dig in some more. Greetings, listeners. Todd Bashong, the editor here at Fresh Text. I hope you're enjoying this conversation between John and Larissa on 1 Corinthians 9, and just wanted to encourage any of you who have not had the opportunity yet to visit our new Patreon homepage at patreon.com forward slash fresh text. For a limited time, the team here at Fresh Text is making our new weekly bonus episodes available to the general public on our Patreon site. These weekly guided meditations are brief reflections coupled with spiritual formation exercises led by John and intended to focus on a more contemplative and prayerful posture of podcast listening. In addition to our weekly bonus episode, this Friday, February 5th, we'll see the release of our first monthly bonus episode, a theological deep dive into Paul Schrader's 2017 film, First Reformed. This conversation features John and Indiana Wesleyan Associate Professor of Practical Theology, Brandon Hancock. 
Both our weekly and monthly bonus episodes will be available for free to the general public for the entire month of February, giving listeners a chance to preview some of the bonus materials that you have to look forward to in 2021. So again, be sure to visit patreon.com forward slash fresh text to enjoy this limited time offer. And please enjoy the remainder of this conversation with John and Larissa. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23, with our guest, Larissa Levicheva. Um, good to have you back on the show. It's been a bit. Uh, good you. to have you back in uh, some New Testament Greek and geeking out with you here. I did have a, I had a couple questions if we can, and if you had more things, I'd love to hear what they are, but Absolutely. two little things. One is the, the text at hand here, and the other is a, a cross-reference question. So one term in 17 that captured my eye today was this word stewardship. I'm not sure what NRSV had. Oikonomion, you know, it's oikonomia, which I know is this term that pops up in Paul a lot as a way of describing his ministry. It occurred to me today when I was hearing you talk about slavery and servanthood, that that would be, I, I think I remember this term being used over in the gospels occasionally as like when someone's put in charge of the household, right? Like the kind of the lead servant would be entrusted right. with an economia. Am I remembering that right? Or is that yeah. a, is that a <laughs> mental flub? Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's exactly what he's talking about here. Yeah. So how does that fit into the metaphor here? Like, cause again, it's that authority game. Like in some sense I'm servant, but I'm also kind of the, the head servant. <laughs> so right. I'm so, trying but to think it through. If I, um, as a head servant, I can only be paid by the master, not by the servants under me. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, and it's, it's actually, there is another Clever. interesting thing in that uh, same verse, right? There is the translation that I have is, um, if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, yeah. right? so it's, it is the, I like the, and, I like the original better. <laughs> yeah. What was that? So it's a, you know, there are two words. One is um, ekon, hekon, sorry. And the, what, yeah. and the other one is akon. Do you see the difference is the first letter. Then ah. alpha or epsilon. Yeah. So. Yeah, I so, do not know these words. That's a, that, so tell me more about these words. I don't know those terms. Right. That so, isn't will. That's not exactly will. That's a kind of dynamic equivalence, right? Well, it's um it's voluntary of one's free will. Gotcha. It's okay. An adjective. Gotcha. Oh, and it's kind of in an adjective form, which is why I didn't catch it. Okay. Right. So the other one was an uh, uh alpha acon that's unwilling or not with free will. Right? So I mean, I don't want to waste waste too much time on this, but I wonder if I have my, I, I, I think this is the term. I don't know if I have my Aristotle handy. That's why I said I don't want to waste time on it, but so I'll look it up later. But that the early chapters of Aristotle's ethics has a 
discussion of the distinction between voluntary and involuntary um, is usually how it's translated. And I'm actually dying to know now if these are the terms that are used there that probably are because it's not, so it is will, but it's not, it's like you say, so I, I wonder if voluntary can be a nice uh, way to capture the sense there. Yeah. If it is of my will, if it is voluntary, yeah, then. There is a reward, but if not, then I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. So and this is the understanding of the head servant. If I was told to do this and I'm doing it right, it's just because I was, that's my job to do. But if I choose this job, then I yeah. will do it better with, you know, with more reward. So then is 18, when he says, what is my reward? Yes. That I might preach the gospel free of charge. So my reward is that I keep on doing this for free. Is that a subtle hint to say, now it would be good to send me some support so that I can not burden myself onto the next place? Well, I don't um, think he's actually asking them for money yet. I, I, I think like in here, he's actually, what he's, again, I don't know, but what I think he's doing is he is upending this whole uh, patriarchal and, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, if I, oh, if I render you a service, you must pay me, mm-hmm. right? So, like, completely uh, upending this and saying that if I don't receive And often through favors you, and access and stuff like that, not just right. cash, right? Yeah. Right. If I give the service free of church to you, then now you are free to offer the same service. Okay. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's it's all guided by um, you know preaching the gospel, right? It's the good news. It's that's why it's free. And if I do this for you, I choose to do this for you, then you can make the same choice. Ah, uh, so then with your neighbors. Then the personal pronouns in the next paragraph are actually also about you imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's saying, he's talking about himself, but he's not just reporting here. He's saying, because in many ways, hidden in 19 through 22 are a lot of the lessons of the whole book of Corinthians, right? Like to the weak become weak, you know, like, I mean, he's basically going to tell the strong to do exactly that. Like accommodate yourself to the weak. Yeah. So this isn't just about him is what I'm hearing you say. And that's very helpful. Yeah. This morning I was just thinking, that I love Paul's mind, but I don't always like his personality. He can be a little irascible, throws a lot of elbows. And especially these passages like chapter nine, it was funny when I opened up my Bible this morning, just to refresh my memory about the, the, the text, mm-hmm. um, the, the particular Bible I had with me was like all marked up except for this chapter. And I was like, interesting. I just said that was an interesting thought to me to recognize that I often, the same thing happens the last couple chapters of, of second Corinthians. Like when he gets on his high horse about his authority and his rights, it just turns me off. I gotta be honest. It turns me off. And this conversation today is so helpful because I'm seeing how much this is not just about him and not even just about other ministers or leaders. This is really about a whole different way of thinking and living in the world, which is what right. I'm sensing from you, this real disruption of the patronage system, the right. patriarchy, right? It's Paul, Paul, it, Paul's down with the, down, down with the patriarchy, <laughs> but I mean, right. it's the, the patron client relationship 
that again, of course, that's become much more contractualized in the modern world, but it's still a reality in human relations. When we do things, we expect things back and to disrupt that is difficult. You know, it doesn't sink in right away. Like the real implications of that way of living are pretty radical. Yeah. And by choosing to be a, a slave of Christ, you know, using this patriarchy system, right? He, he knows, and everybody knows, that the status of the slave comes from the status of the master. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? The slave is nobody or nothing on its own. <laughs> but with the master, like, you know, whoever, then suddenly, like, I am this person's slave, right? Right. And a slave of Caesar would actually have quite a bit of power, influence, authority. And yeah. so if, if, if it turns out Caesar isn't Lord, but Jesus is... <laughs> Then this is also a, a, this is also a claim of great significance. Right. So that's what I'm saying. You know, Paul is doing a lot. He is completely upending the whole system of patriarchy. You know, what's really freedom, what's really slavery. So in this context, so he's, he's using the conveniences, you know, right of his day to speak this truth, but should actually dismantle all of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's funny. It's always so tricky. Like we, we, it helps when we study the scriptures to understand the cultural assumptions of the time so that we can follow the arguments, but we can get our kind of national geographic hat on too long and sort of think that, Oh, now we understand it, that he was a man of his time. It's like, well, yeah, but then the, the payoff of that right. is how how out of place he also was at the same time, you know? Right. And this is not just the kind of, you know, doormat false humility, which no one would accuse Paul of. This is what I love about Paul is he he's his his notion of humility and weakness is a very bold, assertive, right, you know, kind of weakness. And that's really it's exciting, you know? Wow. <laughs> Okay, if you want to camp there, that's cool. But I, I had another random question I wanted to ask you if it's okay. But yeah, anything you want to talk about is great too. So I noticed this little detail in Acts. That, you know, we're recording this in December. This won't drop for a while. But uh, this fall, we were watching a, a sort of Acts video with my kids. There's like a visual Bible that where they go th- just just Acts. All the words are just straight from Acts. It's a little cheesy, but it's it's really great to have the the text itself. And I noticed this little detail that I had never noticed before. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Here it is. The translation's a little different here. Well, here I'll look at it. So it? it's Acts 18, verse 5. So when he goes to Corinth, so this is relevant to the Corinth thing. Again, it's Acts, so you know you take with a grain of salt, probably written very later and diff, mm-hmm. but it seems helpful. So he, he shows up in Corinth and he's there ahead of Silas and Timothy. And there's the little detail that he worked as a tent maker. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of well-known, which is related to this, this notion that he worked with his own hands. And there's a reference to that in a, a little in chapter 19 in, in the Ephesus story. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's this little detail that when Silas and Timothy show up, verse five, and here's how the, the NIV had it. And I wanted to check this by you. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. 
testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Yeah, I was one. I mean, that's just that's the way the NIV translates it, and it kind of it struck me interestingly this little detail that like, ooh, was this one of the? And he ends up staying there really long. You know, he gets that vision from from Christ to to stay there. And I wonder if there was something unique in his ministry in Corinth that he actually was kind of maybe for the first time a kind of quote full time evangelist. Hmm. But Silas and Timothy were working, um, kind of took over his tent making business, as it were. Right. Because we often talk about Paul the tent maker mm-hmm. as a sort of model of like bivocational ministry. But there's a there's a hunch here, if the translation's correct, that he may have actually been doing a kind of full-time evangelist work, but not being paid by the Corinthians, but having a sort of independent income stream through his companions. This making and it helped me make sense of why actually traveling with companions was so essential, is it wasn't just about mentoring them in their work of preaching, although he definitely was doing that, but also that they were additional supports so that he wouldn't have to be dependent on these churches, which would create these patronage rhythms. That's just a quick take. I don't know how that strikes you, if that seems accurate to the picture that's being painted in Acts or in Corinthians. Yeah. Um, thoughts on that? I'm not, I'm not quite sure here. Um, working with his hands uh, definitely affected his status, right? He chose to stoop down. Right. Um, and work to support himself. But then maybe because his companions came and not who are able to work, then he's now doing what he was called to do. So yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not reading. I don't know if we need to read any more in that or not. Sure. But yeah. Yeah. It's just su- su- Suneketo to logo. So he was occupied, you know, uh, with, with the word. So it could be that he, that's just what he was already doing when they showed up. Right. Um, so so it's, my- it's, an, it's an interpretive choice that the NIV is making, but I thought I'd run it by you if it sounded plausible. Yeah. Um, my translation kind of- says um, hold fast or oppress. So the, that Paul, you know, held fast to the word. Mm. Or, you know, was by the word. So I don't know. Yeah, you could take it different ways, more passively or more active. Well, I didn't want to camp on that too long. I just wanted to kind of throw out the possibility that Corinth, because he stayed there so long, right? right? I think it's a year and a half, I think is mentioned. You could see how the Corinthians might get the idea that he's kind of, oh, he's like our local pastor guy. And... (laughs) And we pay him a salary and you know what I mean? Like right. that the temptation that, that he has to scold them on this issue precisely because of the kind of role that he might've played there, a sort of longer term service, you know, it's pretty obvious that there's no, he, he's, he's not being patronized by these places that he kind of was in and back out so quickly. Right. right. The, mm-hmm. Whereas with Corinth, it, l- let me throw in a word. He was a little more enmeshed in Corinth and it's life, right. you know? Yeah. So their temptation to think that they were in a kind of patron client relationship right. was stronger, you know? Right. Um, so at least the length of time there is relevant, even if that particular verse could be translated different ways. Anyway, I just want to run that by you. I hope that wasn't a waste no. of time. 
for everybody. <laughs> Any other insights about the text you wanted to mention before we explore some sermon starters? Well, I think um, it's interesting that he in, um, was it 19, says, though I'm free okay. and belonging to no one, I have my myself a slave to everyone. Right. Ah. So it's like, you know, the uh, stoicism idea of uh, a free man is the one who does what he wants without regard hmm. to others. So what Paul is doing is that the free man is, he is free to do what he chooses, but actually what's given uh, to him by Christ. But instead of no regard for the others, it's more of he's actually paying attention to everybody who he is dealing with. Yeah. But those people have nothing on him because he doesn't show any favoritism to anybody. They have nothing on him. But rather, he is, you know, he's slave to all, right? So if he is a slave, that means he is in in the same position with whoever he meets. So they have nothing on him. They cannot say that he favors some and doesn't the others, Uh right? So he's making himself a servant to all. He, again, levels that playing field, like, you still have nothing on me. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love you mentioning the Stoic thing because he kind of, he's kind of using, it's a critical appropriation of the Stoic idea, right? Yeah, I am, in some sense, I am free vis-a-vis everyone, you know, so half true, but then the rest of the truth is what that's freed me for is a freedom of total egalitarian servitude to all people of any kind, any sort, any level of class. The socioeconomic radicality of this passage is just like bursting forth, you know, like, uh, and Paul maybe isn't always uh, fully attuned to the explosive power of his own insights, but I mean, it's really here in this paragraph. Wow. 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 And then, you know, in the verses 19 through 21, he uses the word, like the the translation I have is win, win Mm. some, win more, win the Jews or so it's yeah. uh, kerdaining, right? To to win, to gain, but it's it has a an economic sense of it, right? Like a transaction okay. where you do something to gain, and then even the uh, the word gain or you know misos, again the economic gain you get from right. reward is, or payment or right know. is actually converts. So he is. In, you know, he's on Corinth, highly, um, you know, a, a busting uh, economic center with all those different classes, you know, social economic classes and all that. He's using the uh, vocabulary of the, um, you know, economic exchange type thing. And yet he changes it completely, right? So the the win or, and the gain is the convert. And it's actually not mm-hmm. the win for me. It's the win for the kingdom. So it's and win for the gospel. Yeah. Right. 20, so, 23, right. Everything I do, I do for the sake of the gospel so that I might, you know, have co-fellowship with right. it, you know? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I surrender my status. I surrender my freedom but again, not just for myself, right? It's nothing for myself. I really do not gain much from it. It's 
again, to be completely in service to Christ. Because yeah, if it's his gain, gain it counts as... It's the gain for the gospel. Just like a one who'd been given stewardship over the house, you know, while a, while a master is on a trip, right? If the house right. does well while he's gone, that's good for the master. Therefore, it's good for the servant. But yeah, well, that's really good. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 or 16 through 23, but really the whole chapter 9 really is our focus. Uh, Let's explore some sermon starters. We can talk about how to preach a text like this in particular, or if you wanted Laura to zoom out, I've been asking this when we, because we've switched to epistles this year in the show, and I've been asking a lot of guests uh, if they had any general advice about preaching on Paul, maybe some pitfalls to avoid and some tips about how to, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of crappy preaching on Paul out there. Right. And, (laughs) but some of the best, uh, some of the best preaching is often on Paul, right? So you kind of have this, you know, this, this spread. So I don't know. I, I sorry to put you on the spot, but if you have any general thoughts, that's okay too. Or we can just talk about how to preach this one. It's up to you. Well, I think generally speaking, Whenever, you know, not so good preaching from Paul, you know, um, usually focuses on how uh, Paul is talking about complete disregard for the law, right? We're free. We Mm. don't need that. And unfortunately, that translates into we don't need to read the Old Testament. We don't need to understand all the background and, you know, but Paul is able to say that because he understands it so well. And it in no, uh, there's absolutely no place in the Bible where he says, I personally stop doing what I've always done. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, he says, even in this passage that he, um, and I think it is. Um, yeah. There's 20, a right? really key moment. Right. right. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews to those under the law. I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, to win those who are under the law, right? He's using this parallelism, right? The Jews, Mm -hmm. those who are under the law, which, you know, synonymous, right? So he's he's even using the uh, uh, very popular style of Hebrew writing and Hebrew poetry, right? The parallelism, that's what he's doing throughout all this. And, you know, we, we see that he follows the law when that's, what's supposed to be done, right? Like in Acts, we see he brings mm-hmm. Timothy to uh, the temple. Timothy is not circumcised, so he needs to be circumcised. He understands what it what it means to be a Jew and what are the right things to do. He takes a Nazarite vow in Acts 18. So I think he still fully understands the importance of the Lord in his life and in the life of the Jews. Mm-hmm. But what he's trying to say is that now with Christ coming, there is so much more to it. Mm-hmm. That's when he's with the Jews. Now, when he's with the uh, Gentiles and all the epistles are written to the Gentiles, he is saying, you know, you are not under the law because you've never been under the law. So the law is not yeah. important for you. Right. So That's actually assertion of Jewish specialness, not the other way around. People often right. take Paul saying like, 
we we too quickly analogize and say like, oh yeah, like being an uptight Christian is kind of like being a Jew and under the law and you need to be released from that. And he's like, well, actually only the Jews can be the Jews and they right. are bound by the law. And his beef is only with those who try to impose that right. on those who are, who are uh, on these Gentiles, right? Because he, he calls them in verse 21, you know, to the lawless ones, and I don't think those not those outside the law. I guess that works right. as a translation, but lawless would be the straightforward way of I think taking the word in twenty one. It's right. to those who are lawless, as one who is lawless. Though I am not lawless, not lawless of God, but right. in so, the law of Christ. Right. So he is. Right. He's sort of asserting, I am following the law, but under the authority of Christ. So I'm not under the law. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so there is now a new dimension, right? So now this law means even more to me, right? Uh, yeah. The law of Christ, which is of self-sacrifice, self-sacrificing love mm-hmm. and giving yourself for, uh, for your neighbor, right? And for others. So I think, I think this is what's lost. Yeah. So we kind of throw the baby with the, you know, bath water. When we talk so that'd be one. This. So that'd be one big warning: is to not, is to not mistake Paul's ways of talking about his Jewish brethren as simply, "Hey, those dummies didn't get it, and here's this right. whole new thing." Right. Uh, and, and he's actually submitted to the law when he received the flogging from the Jews mm-hmm. for speaking about um, for preaching Christ, which would be considered blasphemy. You know, if he's not, if he's no longer under the law then he'd say, you know, I don't care about yeah. this and walk away. But he submits to it. Um, that's part of the, that's the main cause of his suffering as far as he's concerned. His right. suffering and, at the ends of yeah. the dude, that's why it hurts more. It hurts his heart, not just his body. Right. Um, and he goes to the synagogue first, right? So mm-hmm. he's, he's very, cl- you know, yes, he, he uh, is called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but yet the first his first uh, loyalty is to his own people, right? So it's and it helps it helps even to think of it as being him being an apostle to the nations, right? Because then that, I mean, his first mission, his first focus was always on diaspora Jews, right? Jews right. spread and living among the Greeks. Um, right. Wow. Yeah, and then the Lois, you know, you mentioned that he sometimes says, you know, the Greeks, right? Like you would say to mm-hmm. Jews and Greeks, but he's not using Greeks here. He says the lawless, right? Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's interesting to to wonder if he's doing this because being a free Greek, you know, it's all about doing what you want, bringing, you know, like if it brings pleasure or whatever, mm-hmm. right? A hedonistic way of life. So he, by using lawless, right, still sticking with the law, there is some order, some rules, some, you know, particular behavior expected. Um, so the freedom is connected to this, you know, there are limits, right? Healthy limits to that. So. You have any other uh, preaching on Paul pet peeves that you wanted to uh, share before uh, we talk about how you might preach this text or is that the biggie? Is that, that's kind of the biggie. I think that's the big one so, <laughs> because, you know, in all of my, you know, teaching of the Bible, right. And, especially the Old Testament, usually what I hear is, well, we're not under the law, so why do we need to read the Old Testament? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. just because well, you wrote so much. 
you're just one voice. We have Peter, <laughs> we have James, we have, you know, many others. We have Hebrews. And Paul read correctly, you might also <laughs> say. <laughs> yes, there is more of Paul, but it's only one voice. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. No, I hear you. I hear you. No, I, I struggle with how to preach Paul in general, but especially these passages where there's a lot of first person pronouns where he's talking about himself. There's a challenge like where to find myself and my people in the story. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. because to place myself as Paul in the story and to have the, the people be the Corinthians is usually unwise and not actually helpful. But then the moment you move out of that, it's, it's harder, it's harder to kind of see how to apply it and turn it into a, a relevant sermon. So I don't know, maybe you don't have any thoughts on, on how one might do that, but. And I also think, you know, when he says, imitate me, mm. right, as I imitate Christ, that's, that's also quite a statement. Yeah. Rather than just imitate Christ, imitate right. me. As a, so that's another, but um, <laughs> another thing. Although that's really, really helpful here to then interpret this right. as a way of being. And like you said, the mistake, it's related to your first point to say, it's not, he's not a sort of like, raceless person without an identity. Right. He is a right. Jew. So it's not like he becomes a Jew, meaning he wasn't one before. Right. Um, right. But recognizing that I have this kind of flexibility and open-endedness because it's primarily about serving uh, mm-hmm. through ministry, these different people. And if he's offering that up as an example, uh, you too should be like this in your dealings with each other and in your dealings with those outside the Christian community. I think he might be suggesting this as a, as a way of living and not just as an assertion of his way of doing things. Is that, is that fair to yeah. say? Yeah. And it's actually, you know, he There's says a sermon in that. <laughs> all things to all people, right? But it doesn't mean that he actually means the whole world. He means this three groups of people, the Jews, yeah. the non-Jews, and the weak, right? Yeah. So he's using rhetoric, right, to, yeah. to bring the po- um, point across, but does mean that he's thinking about, I don't know, people that he's never met before. Yeah. So, so it I, might, ap- I it might apply, know, but that's was, a distant application. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I was, uh, as I was thinking about uh, possible ideas for preaching is, you know, thinking about who is in our world, right? Mm-hmm. Like what is, you know, who is in our world and what does it mean for us to be all things to all people? Mm-hmm. Because you can't be in, you know, anything to anybody, right? You need to know who you are and what your identity is before you can relate to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, and it's quite clear that Paul knows what he believes and how he's supposed to live this out. And that's why he can reach out and understand the other. So, and then also maybe another thought is what it mean what does it mean for us to live counterculturally mm-hmm. paul doesn't say you know slavery is bad right that's not that wouldn't that wouldn't fly in his day but what does it mean to be a true slave of christ right how do we live and how do we treat each other in this way so and then what did you know what is the difference between tolerance that you know right now in our society it's all about tolerance right mm-hmm. 
But what's the difference between tolerance and actual God's love for others? Because tolerance means we can ignore. God's love for others means we need to get involved in the life of others. So, Yeah, like the strong and the weak, his advice is not merely that around the strong, I, I, I tolerate the weak. Right. right? I indulge yeah. them. I forbear them. Right. It's like, no, I actually enter into weakness with them. Yeah. And it's also and like another thing interesting from the text. He says, to the Jews, I became as, right? Mm-hmm. To the lowest, I became as. But yes. with the weak, he says, I became weak. Ooh. So he actually made that step, right? Gave up his status, started working with his hands. Whew, and, I did not see that. Wow. Um, yeah, so he has given up a lot. So he's weak now in many, in many regards, right? Working with his hands, which means he probably leaves, you know, hand to mouth, right? Yeah. Boy, um, Laura, I know this is near yeah. the end of the episode, but I feel like that's that little observation. And then I could go back through the breadcrumbs of our conversation. A whole sermon could emerge out of that simple observation yeah. that because it's, and, and you can clarify as you go, Right as one under the law, right. as one who is lawless, because he even clarifies, not that I'm actually lawless, you know, right. just mm-hmm. under the law of Christ, which then brings with it everything that matters from the law. Right. Um, but, but when it's weakness, it's not just play acting. That's actually right. the way of being in the world, which then doubles back to who does my reward come from, slave to all, bound by necessity, Right. I mean, yep. I feel like a, a very straightforward sermon, and you could even find a way to kind of say the tension between Jews and Gentiles is crucial to understanding what Paul's is doing, but might not be central to the experience of a lot of Christians in our time. Right. But this, this invitation to become weak, not just like you're weak, but actually weak, right? Right, And then spend an exegesis, the whole passage of dip, what does it mean to become weak, right? Right. What yep. does it mean to become weak? And there's, and you could lay out a number of principles here because yep. it's about freedom. Actually, that's the beautiful thing about it is right. it's freedom. Mm-hmm. It's being bound to Christ, being free from obligation, uh, being entrusted with a stewardship and making it very practical working with your hands. I mean, I know for me, like I started noticing in my journaling, I started noticing like, are there patterns like on the days that are terrible are there thing and the days that are good? Cause I, you know, your brain, like my brain goes to the things that I'm thinking about as the causes, right? I got in an argument with Laura in a committee meeting today. That's why I'm having a bad day. Right. But like, actually not that that ever happens or only happens a couple times, but, <laughs> um, but like the more and more I started journaling, I started noticing like, you know, the good days are the days when I do chores and the bad days tend to be the ones where I don't right? The ones where I am up in my head and focused on the conflict of relationships. Those are linked. Those are the crappy days. Now, this just might be my personality, but I doubt I'm alone in this. The the, the old monks, there's a wisdom, aura et labora, pray and work. And it doesn't just, they have a word for the work of like writing and thinking. That's opera, but no, it's labora, meaning manual labor. And it is just genuinely a good thing to as much as one can, if one works in a um, 
<clears throat> quote knowledge industry or whatever to right. yeah. to sometimes just work with your hands. It's just yeah. good because it makes you weak. You sleep better, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's maybe getting too down to earth, but I think it's exactly the kind of earthiness that that Paul might be inviting us to consider. Yeah. And if you think the very first commandment was to till the garden, <laughs> yes. they made us to till the garden. Yeah. So that's right. Yeah. Well, I think I should go change the laundry, <laughs> which is the next thing on my to-do list today. So thanks so much, uh, Laura, for giving an hour of your time. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to apply the Bible. <laughs> but Thanks so much uh, for giving an hour of your time. Thanks, uh, as always, to uh, Todd and Eric for their great production work. Couldn't imagine doing this without them. Uh, thanks to Tom for donating the theme music. And thanks most of all to you, listener. Uh, dear listener, thank you for listening and getting the word out about the show. With that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye.